Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. We're going to talk a little bit of breakfast today. Everybody has their go-to breakfast spots and Omaha has a lot of great options but today we get to talk to some people from the one that for reasons that we'll get into is my personal favorite and that is Saddle Creek Breakfast Cub. Please help me welcome uh, chef and owner Chase Thompson and general manager Jocelyn Ward. Guys welcome to the show. Hi thanks for having us. Yeah good to be here. So um, Chase you, you've obviously been with Saddle Creek Breakfast Club <clears throat> Since its inception in 2017, Jocelyn, I just learned that you joined a couple weeks later. So you've basically been there the whole time. So I think you guys can both provide some interesting uh, perspective on something, what I want to get kicked off with here. And that's kind of introducing the restaurant to someone who's never been there before. And in my research, I went back and I found this quote that you gave to the World Herald uh, Chase in 2018. You said, we're taking a lot of inspiration from Greasy Spoon Diners doing the classics. I thought Omaha hadn't seen breakfast done properly yet. Can you kind of unpack how that quote describes Saddle Creek Breakfast Club at the time and how maybe you've seen the restaurant evolve since then? Yeah, so essentially kind of when we started in breakfast, um, a lot of what was going on in town was kind of the same, and it was very much that Greasy Spoon Diner, which I love personally when I go out to breakfast. That's the style of breakfast that I enjoy eating. Um, but everything has, you know, it's biscuits and gravy, it's chicken fried steak, um, maybe a build-your-own-omelet option. And kind of the approach that I was going to take is having a long history working in nighttime restaurants was to take that approach and attention to ingredients and bring it to breakfast which hadn't, hadn't quite been done kind of the way that I was going for. Um, and then the other thing that we were going to do is we were going to really look at bringing in uh, high-quality ingredients. So kind of uh, depending on how you look at your eggs, there's quite a, a range in kind of the egg that you can get. Um, so you can pay as little as $0.07 cents per an egg, or we kind of end up on the higher end paying about $0.37 cents an egg for... Um, a high-quality, um, organic, local egg that we get out of Iowa. Um, so that in itself will kind of separate itself, and it's kind of the difference between carrying um, artificial maple syrup and using real maple syrup. So we were going to bring kind of the higher-end ingredients into town. Um, we were going to season your eggs for you before you got them, kind of like the way that you would season a steak at a, at a dinner restaurant. And we were just going to apply those fine dining details that not a lot of breakfast places in town were doing. Um, and that was the liftoff point, and really it just kind of evolved from there. Just as another example of that, something that I want to bring up, because I think it's just a really cool story, is I actually got a chance to have breakfast at Saddle Creek uh, with your dad and your mom about probably about a month or six weeks ago or something, and he was telling me about how you – hand cut the hash browns every day you're peeling the potatoes you're cutting those hash browns up and he's like i tried to get him to just buy some frozen ones because it would make his life so much easier but he yeah. won't do it he just won't do it yeah so i i just i love that dedication to hey this might cost us a little more it might take us a little bit more time but it's going to make the end product and the customer experience so much better in the end yeah, so, uh, I mean, with the hash browns, that was kind of the, the theory that we were going to do um, from scratch the entire time. 
Um, I don't know if there's anyone in, tel- in town doing a traditional hash brown that way. I would doubt it. <laughs> um, it is a little bit insane. It's about, uh, we actually first started doing the potatoes in a circulator. So we had the degree of the potato geared down to uh, a decimal point. Wow. Um, once volume grew, that was no longer possible. We were running a circulator the entire time that the building was open. Um, so we do about 250 pounds of potatoes a week that get slow cooked in a rondo that we've just kind of learned how to gauge its temperature based on touch and feel. So the the point that it's just the just past the point of being cooked, but not to the point of being able to crumble is where we pull them at. Um, they cool overnight. They get peeled by hand, and then they get shredded by hand. So hash brown is something that a point of the process has to be worked on every day. Okay, listeners, did you just hear that description of what is a side dish <laughs> at Saddle Creek Breakfast Hub? If that much love and that much care is being put into every dish, like if you're not sold on the concept already, you should be right now. Uh, Jocelyn, as, as you've worked at Saddle Creek for now going on five years, how have you seen it grow and evolve during that time? Uh, well, it's busy, just Busier, busier, busier. Um, you know, with the new patio furniture we put out uh, last year, it's just, and I feel like parties have grown in size. You know, you went from having a lot more one tops and two tops and the locals who would walk down um, from just around the corner, which they still do. But now you see a lot of, you know, it's a, almost like a tourist spot at this point. Like, we've read about you. We ha- we will wait two hours. We've driven all the way from here, you know, X, Y, Z to come here. So that's been really awesome to see. Um, and that we, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, people get hangry, but once they sit down and then get everything done, you know, the, wow, that really was worth it, you know, and telling people on their way out just how great it was. So that's been really nice to see just the satisfaction of waiting down and seeing breakfast elevated to but it's been it's really nice to just see it evolve and people really appreciate it once they sit down and get out the door. It is amazing because because Saddle Creek it is a it is a smaller restaurant, but and and we'll get into kind of where that comes from the origins of it later. But in almost every conversation I have about it, someone will make some like grumbling comment about oh I hate waiting, but then they're like, but it's so worth it. And then they're talking about the next time they're going to go back. So it's just like people they love to complain about wait times. But they won't change their habits because the food is that good. People so will wait two hours for that peanut butter whip on mm. those banana pancakes. Okay, let's get into it. I wanted to talk <laughs> about the banana pancakes, so let's just do it right now. Like, every breakfast place is going to have pancakes, some version of pancakes, maybe even, you know, two or three versions of pancakes. But yours has just this, like you just mentioned, Jocelyn, that peanut butter whip that adds, like, a nice airy nuttiness it's got three slices of tender banana it's got the chopped peanuts on top and that drizzle of local honey as you're like trying to put your menu together i'm assuming that you knew there's got to be some version of pancakes on here how did you determine this is going to be our signature pancake plate so it's uh, the original like the kind of the first seed that was planted is actually based on the elvis Mm -hmm. sandwich which is, I think, uh, peanut butter, banana, honey, and bacon. Um, and logistically, I didn't really know like what happens if you throw peanut butter, which is essentially an oil-based ingredient, into whipped cream and whether or not it would work. And it worked. <laughs> so I think people, people try to make it, a lot of what I do, a lot more complicated than it actually is, but it's really not. It's, it's whipped cream with peanut butter thrown into it. <laughs> and... You know, it takes a little while to get the temperature of your cream and the consistency that you want and how hard and long you want to have it in your mixer. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's completely accomplishable, and it's uh, something that literally takes three ingredients to make. Um, and then just things will a lot of a lot of dishes that I do will, will start with just kind of a seed of an idea, and then just kind of naturally other things will kind of add to it until until I can figure out a way to balance it out. And I'll kind of get stuck on ideas. So like with the with the banana pancakes, I was like, God, if we if we put a if we just drown this thing in local honey, like do we need syrup? Do people want to put syrup on that? To me it'd be odd to drizzle syrup on top of something that's already soaking in honey. But when you think of the two ingredients standalone, like of it's not gonna make it worse. 
if you put both mm-hmm. on it. So um, once I can kind of mentally get past whether or not something works in my mind, it will usually settle in a, in a place that, that works out for most people. And that's just generally how I approach everything. I, I do things in a way that if it makes sense to me and I would eat it, which generally speaking, I don't eat a ton of our food. So it's more actually if it, if it kind of makes sense to me, then usually a pretty a pretty large demographic of people, which I've learned, like to eat like me. So they they will they will tend to enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. How much how much R and D goes into every dish that hits menu? Because you've got a menu that is changing very frequently. Like the banana pancakes, they're going to be on the menu pretty much anytime you come in because that's kind of one of the staple menu items. But I mean, there's stuff on your menu that's changing all the time. Somebody can come in twice in one week and probably see four or five different items. How are you finding the time to constantly play around with different things and say, you know, I don't know if, if whipped cream and peanut butter is going to work, but I'm going to try it. And maybe it works at this temperature, but not at this temperature. Like how do you do that? Um, honestly, R and D very little. Um, I will be, I follow about maybe a thousand nationwide restaurants on Instagram, none of which are, a very few of which are actually breakfast restaurants. And a lot of times I'll be like inspired by a picture and I will literally throw it on the menu that week. And many times the first version of a dish will fail and I will take it off the menu and put on something that I know works already. And then I'll just kind of incubate on that idea. And then maybe that dish will return in a month, a different version of it. Interesting. And that can happen. That'll happen three or four times until it's right. And then there's other dishes like the Cali Club, which I literally was one item short. So for the first year, I was trying to carry a 12-item menu was kind of the number that I was trying to hit. And in my second rewrite, I was one dish short. And... <laughs> Like 20 years ago, I was working at a restaurant that did this dish with chipotle mayonnaise on waffle fries with blue cheese. And I'm like, well, that works. Like smoky blue cheese and chipotle, which is smoked, and bacon, which is smoked. I mean, all that just works. So the inspiration behind that sandwich was basically just like smoky. And I'm like, I'm a believer in cream cheese and that literally there's nothing that cream cheese can't pair with. So I'm like, if I whip the ingredients of this chipotle mayonnaise, 86 the mayonnaise, insert with cream cheese, I'm like, this thing will work on everything. And I knew Le Cordier made a killer croissant, so I called him up and got the first batch delivered. And that dish hit it out of the park the day that it debuted, and it's done nothing but sell itself over and over again. It's never left the menu since. But, like, that dish was about 10 minutes of conception time. It was, it was there to fill a spot. <laughs> that, and that's just so amazing because it's one of the ones that you spent the least time on. But mm-hmm. for anyone who hasn't had this sandwich, you just broke down a lot of the components, but just to bring in everything else, it also has avocado. It's got uh, an over-easy egg. Obviously, it has bacon on it. It's just so rich and decadent mm-hmm. and fatty. It is just brilliant i love that sandwich so much so for me it's always it's always about finding balance and like it's so heavy and it's so there's nothing not aggressive about the pieces in the sandwich so to me like literally the only thing that can balance that out and not completely drench the sandwich down is to put it on a super light flaky croissant Mm -hmm. and i think that's the croissant i think is 90 percent of why the sandwich works is the that croissant is so good and the courtier just knocks it out yeah every time yeah they do uh, Jocelyn, what what is it like um, working with a restaurant that has a, an ever-changing menu versus one that just has staple menu items that customers are familiar with, servers are familiar with, cooks are familiar with, everybody's got that those items down to a T versus another one that maybe it's a little bit more work to train everybody on these on new dishes all the time, but it's also providing some customers with something more interesting every time they come in. Um, I guess, what what is it like working with a restaurant that is constantly changing things and you've got a chef who's just being creative all the time? Um, you know, you politely find ways to say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have that right now. And then you direct the conversation onto something else that you think the person may like. And nine times out of ten, I've steered them in the right direction and they enjoy anything that they've ever had. Um, but you also can't go wrong with anything on the menu. So 
that's also easy. And I have a great front of house staff that also follow suit. They will direct the conversation and well, you know, maybe you've come in and had a burrito. Well, we don't have the burrito right now, but let's get the Dos Salsas de Maria. It comes with a tortilla and it's amazing. And that house made salsa is literally gold. So, you know, I mean, the food sells itself. It's really easy. So I don't have to do much work to be quite honest. Oh, you gotta love that. Yeah. A <laughs> uh, question for both of you is Chase, you kind of mentioned when you opened Saddle Creek Breakfast Club, you did it with the intention that you hadn't seen a breakfast place that was kind of taking the concepts of dinner dining and applying them to breakfast. Do you remember, like, what was the initial reception like? Like, did people get it when they first came in, or did it take some time for diners to kind of figure <coughs> out what was going on? Um, I think they're still figuring it out. You know, I think that our diners are changing a lot, too. We have our regulars that come in and know what they they want and what they can't do and what they can't what they can do and um you know things that they look forward to on the menu and then we have people that come in and they just love our standard which is two eggs a choice of meat toast and hash browns something you could very easily make at home but the way we make our eggs and cater to that those types of bacon or those you know local sausage links like people just love it so i think it's uh we've had we've had all sorts of customers come in and figure, you know they're still figuring it out I don't know what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, so year one, year one, we weren't really, honestly, when I look back on it, we weren't executing food the, the same way that we are now. Um, I would say, honestly, it, it took a full year for me to, to learn what the restaurant was going to be from the get-go. Um, there was a, a decent amount of, of disappointment in even to this day there are people that will walk in and read the menu and just kind of decide that it's not for them or they'll particularly be looking for something that we don't run and we're totally okay with that like we are very um we're very comfortable in that our view is that we are offering what we are offering and you know you can come here and you can kind of get on board with what we're doing here and, and if it's not what you're looking for um feelings aren't going to be heard over it um, and that's just kind of what you have to be. I feel like with any, any sort of effort to kind of push things a little bit further and push the envelope a little bit further, I think you're going to have to run into that. And I'm totally comfortable there. And I, I want to remain there when I start thinking of, you know, the next couple years, um, you know, we're going to be pushing a lot harder on what people are comfortable with as breakfast over the next two years, kind of again. And that's where I want to be. I don't want to be um, expected, I guess. Okay. You have me very interested with that last statement. I, I don't know how much you can say right now. I don't know how much you want to say right now. But when you say you're going to be pushing the boundaries anymore, can you, like, just give us a teaser on what that means? Yeah, so... Um, I think it's pretty it's pretty widely known right now that we are uh, we're doing a second location um, with a little bit more space and a little bit more freedom. I think there's kind of been some voice concern as to um, what's happening with the original location, which I mean I can get into a little bit later. But nobody's going anywhere for a while, so everyone in Metcalf Harrison can just calm down a little bit. We'll still be by the um, roundabout. <laughs> Parking but, will still be limited. <laughs> you know, currently we are we are hampered by our building quite a bit. Um, we're hampered by the the consequences of putting a restaurant into a building that has zero infrastructure for restaurant. Um, we're hampered by the size, um, how much food we can store. Um, how much space we have to prep. So currently we have to prep in off business hours, which calls for a really long day. So when you do a seven-hour service, at the end of it, there's another shift that has to prep the next day because the, the space simply does not allow you to um, be prepping, have people prepping your food and cooking your food at the same time. Um, so we're moving into a space that's going to allow us to do that. Um, it's going to allow us to get into some fermenting, pickling, canning, some processes that we really want to get into. And then we're just going to really kind of go for it. I have a couple ideas that I've tossed around. Um, if you go and eat at kind of a, an artisan breakfast restaurant in a larger metro area, um, you're going to find that their menus are 
more of an all-day menu rather than a strictly breakfast menu. So just a couple things to throw on. I'm like, can we throw a couple craft pastas on the menu? Like, will people have, like, you know, craft pasta for breakfast? I will. I'll be there. (laughs) The last last time we were in Chicago, we were eating breakfast at 7 a.m., and my wife ordered a uh, brown butter and sage tagliatelle, I think. It was up that, it was kind of up that alley. So I'm like, that works. Um, recently, we, last year, I think we went to breakfast with my family at Shirley's Diner, and my son ordered spaghetti and meatballs. And as I'm looking at this table of all breakfast food and then this nicely put together bowl of spaghetti and meatballs, I'm like, it kind of fits. It kind of works. And then as that idea is kind of incubated, I'm like, can I put a family-style General Tso's chicken on a brunch menu? Can that be, like, a, something that people come in and get, you know, a little bowl of steamed rice and General's chicken and then all to share and then also get their brunch food? So it's really about understanding that there are zero limits. I think that kind of the American rut of breakfast is we have this one-lane idea of what breakfast is, and this is what we eat for breakfast. We eat cereal, we eat eggs, we eat bacon, and we eat potatoes. And I think if you look more internationally at it that's not necessarily the case um you know our noodles breakfast is rice breakfast like absolutely it is so it's it's kind of like over the past year and especially um kind of after the hiatus that i took and came back kind of refreshed creatively i've kind of started at the very beginning of all this being very careful of what rules i broke and that has kind of just progressed to the point that I'm at. I'm at now. I really don't. I don't see any rules as to what we can and cannot do. Oh man, that has me so incredibly excited. But and this, this is a question for both of you. But like you know, you you talk about as Americans, we have this very ingrained idea of what breakfast foods are and what breakfast foods are not. You know, most people aren't going to eat. I was about to say steak, but steak and eggs actually is popular for (laughs) breakfast. But, you know, like a a hamburger for breakfast Mm -hmm. or, like you said, pasta, things like that. As you're thinking about these changes that you want to make, I'm sure that you've taken into consideration, hey, we're going to need to change some people's minds about what breakfast can be, maybe what breakfast should be. How do you kind of start to create that communication and get people's heads shifted a little bit that, hey, breakfast doesn't have to just be pancakes and waffles. It can be whatever you want it to be as long as it's cooked well. I mean, how many of you have had leftovers where you threw an egg on it the next morning and you're like, man, that was delicious. It's very simple. That's a great point. It's also delicious food. You're going to eat it no matter what time of day it is. So something that I've always been really proud of is if if at any given day, if you come in and look in our dining room, I think you're going to find it to be extremely diverse. Um, So with our vegan program, kind of is very big and it draws in a certain demographic, but it also allows somebody who's living a vegan lifestyle who's perhaps a little bit more um, young, progressive in thought to also come in with their grandpa or their mom or their dad who are also going to find something on the menu. So it's never like we'll ever be just like straight, like new, new, new. Like I'm always very conscious about – and. It, to put it plainly, I'm like, if you bring your grandpa for breakfast, what's grandpa going to have? And there will always be a place on the menu for that. But, you know, I think being having a, a diverse clientele is something that I've taken pride in. It, it is, it's something that we'll always cater to, no mm-hmm. matter what we're doing. And I do want to point out, you mentioned the Saddle Creek Standard earlier. Like, we're talking about all these really creative dishes and, and new breakfast themes and everything. If you are somebody that just loves standard breakfast fare saddle creek has you covered there too the the saddle creek standard it's just i mean you can order it a couple different ways but the way that i always do it hash browns bacon eggs english muffin and it's just all cooked as well as you will find it cooked anywhere it's simple but it's just done so well that if you if you just want your basic breakfast saddle creek has that too so that's no worries Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. Did you know that just 1% of all cattle raised in the U.S. is Piedmontese? Or that this red meat is so healthy that it's similar in micronutrients to Atlantic salmon and chicken breast? Rare, healthy, and most importantly, delicious. That's a trio that just can't be beat. 
I'm so confident that you'll get hooked on certified Piedmontese beef like I did that I want to help you try it. When you visit Piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, you'll receive 25% off your order. That's 25% off steaks, burgers, brats, sausages, and even bacon. Yeah, I said it. Beef bacon. It'll change your life. Use my promo code to score a great deal and experience why certified Piedmontese is such a big deal today. And now, back to my guest. Um, I think this is a point in the conversation, Chase, you mentioned uh, that you took a hiatus a couple of years ago. And that was in the February of 2020. At the time, it was a very stunning announcement to, to us as diners who were outside of it. But um, you actually spent some time in a treatment center for addiction and mental uh, mental health and the restaurant was closed for about a month while you um, well you just kind of worked on yourself and got and got mm-hmm. everything back together and, and then came back now I know that that was a very personal decision if you want to get into it you can I'm certainly not gonna ask you what motivated to make what motivated you to make that decision but I think all too often and this is something that I've discovered a lot more as I've done this podcast and gotten to know people inside the restaurant industry a lot more is that substance abuse and mental illness are like real, real issues within the industry. Um, How important is it, do you think, that people outside of the industry understand that and start to have more of an awareness of it? Um, I think awareness from the outside is a good thing, but I also think that removing the stigma from the inside out is is even more important. Okay. Um, So... I, I entered the industry at 15. So this is like 1997. Um, and back then, and even still now, the industry isn't a place, really a place for a 15-year-old. Um, there's a lot of grown-up things that happen in restaurants. And there's a lot of, and I'll be completely honest, even back then, um, working in a kitchen didn't really have the professional charisma that it has today. It was a lot of, let's just say, alternative people that worked in kitchens back then. Um, and it's very much a party industry. It's very much a get down and let's party. It's a bunch of people kind of living, um, you know, paycheck to paycheck, no health coverage. Um, every day is the same. You go and you work. You make your money at nighttime. You spend your money on on whatever it is. Um, usually, I mean, obviously the most common is, is drinks and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, I was abusing alcohol early, early in life. Um, and for a very, very long time, I was able to sustain that and have a lot of fun and meet a lot of great people. And at a certain point you can't do that anymore. Um, and that's what kind of what happened in year three of the restaurant is combined with the amount of stress that I was going through. Um, coupled with never, ever really giving up that lifestyle, um, turned into, it got me to a point where I knew that I could not clean this up on my own anymore. So I am very, very fortunate to have resources and health coverage and, and all of that in place by being married and having, you know, wonderful parents and a wonderful support system to get the the help that I needed. Um, but upon return, it's very, very apparent that that a lot of people in this industry don't. So my biggest thing is it's not really it's not really important to me that people understand that it is an issue. It's more important that the people within the industry and within the community um, get this industry restructured to a way that if somebody gets to the same point that I was at, that there are resources to get them where they need to go, and that this doesn't have to have the stigma of a party hard industry anymore. Um, if we want it to grow, if we want it to progress, if we want it to get better, especially from kind of the labor shortages that we're looking at right now, um, we need, I think we need people to understand that yes, have fun. It's a fun industry for young people, but if you get yourself into a place that you can't get yourself out of, we need resources and information uh, on how to get you out of that situation, which is 100% the reason why I chose to be so open about it. Um, I kind of was a day before I was leaving town was sitting, I can sitting there thinking 
I can lie and keep this closed up and only help myself, or I can be open about this and potentially help a lot of other people too. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm extremely glad that I chose the latter. And I thank you for being so honest because I know, I mean, I'm, I'm just one person, but I remember when that happened, that, that was a real like light bulb moment for me. And I started having conversations with people and I, I didn't recognize the realities. And again, like, like you said, the people outside the industry having that knowledge isn't as important, but it's just that much more important for the people who are actually going through stuff to know that there are resources, there is help. And there's honestly, like the culture doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. Have you, uh, Jocelyn, have you seen that culture or like the, the belief or maybe what am I even trying to say here? Just kind of the, the overall environment in restaurants change over the last couple of years? Um, sadly, there just aren't those resources, though, you know, to put it blankly. Uh, so, no, I mean, it ha- I don't work the night time anymore, so I, I really couldn't tell you what that was like. But in my 10 plus years working at, you know, in the downtown industry, it was bad. And I saw it every day, all the time from any any coworker. It doesn't matter if you're front of house, back of house, management, not management, there's substance abuse, you know, addictions everywhere. Um, and I, I have seen it change not being, like I said, working at night and, you know, more of a morning atmosphere. It's a lot less, it's more you just go home and you, you know, go to the grocery store, make dinner and go to bed and then do it all over again, which is awesome. But, you know, I don't know what would happen if I walked back into that you know, if I picked up a shift at a bar right now, what it would be like. But I do know that the resources are limited still. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate at this time. But I hope that it does. You know, I hope that we are, that we do see some changes here shortly. Mm-hmm. I just don't know exactly what they would be yet. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we can just, we can start with our restaurant and try to run, try to, try to provide um, a safe atmosphere there. And then, um, you know, you go from there. If you guys had a piece of advice to give to someone, whether within the restaurant industry or outside of it, regardless, if they're struggling with with mental illness, with substance abuse, anything like that, what would it be? Or what would your message be to them, I guess, maybe, instead of advice? Um, honestly, I hope that you can rely on your friends. I really hope that your coworkers and the people that you know interact, or your friends, your family, whoever that it is that you interact with daily, I really hope that they can see that maybe that light is a little dim in you and that you just need to brighten it up, you know, and that there's a way for you to be that person again and that you get the help that you need. I just, I really hope that almost that if you see something, say something just like, Hey, I see you right now. And I see that you're struggling. What can we do to get you to that place that you need to be at? Yeah. I'd say ask for help. And it's number one, it's the number one thing that people get caught up on is just saying it out loud, saying that you need help. But I mean, also, I think that there's an idea that sober life isn't fun. And I assure you that it is. There's a lot of fun to be had on the other side. And um, I mean, physically, mentally, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, a sober life is uh, it's extremely fulfilling. And I and I'm not saying that like people who, people who drink alcohol or or whatnot are are not living their life to the fullest because there's a lot of people that can. Um, but if you're one of the peoples that can't, you know, know yeah. that the grass is greener on the other side. I love that. That's that's really good. I think another component to it too is just the hours and the demands. And you kind of touched on this briefly, talking about how there's almost the two shifts. Even at your restaurant, there's the the service shift and then there's the prep shift. And a couple of years ago, Chase, your wife, Nikki had a Facebook post in February of 2020, where she said that you had in two and a half years since opening a restaurant, you'd taken five full days off and you had touched almost every single plate that had left the kitchen. I mean, that kind of stress and workload takes its toll over time, sometimes very quickly. Can you guys kind of pull back the curtain on just how physically and mentally demanding this industry is? I can't, but Chase can. Chase is there a lot. I mean, he's there. I 
joke about them him being there like 120 hours a week, but it's not really a joke. He's there yeah, so, all day, every day. I mean, I think there's a healthy way to do it and there's an unhealthy way to do, to do it. Um, like I am 100% obsessed with Saddle Creek Breakfast Club. I, it's on my mind all the time. Um, that's never going to go away. So, yeah, at the beginning, and until I went to treatment, I worked every minute of every service that we were open. Um, and that is just the beginning because I also prepped the menu by myself. Um, and physically, I was capable. Um, mentally, it started to really deteriorate, and I started to kind of develop a real anger at the restaurant. I started to kind of blame the restaurant for maybe problems I was having personally or at home or I could always justify that I was lacking in my responsibilities as kind of a a dad or a husband because I was so busy at the restaurant. Um, So that is ultimately kind of what's really started deteriorating my mental health. Um, When I got back, I really started looking at more as not you have, you know, this many hours to get this accomplished. I started looking at it more as go as far as you can go and then be done. And it's my entire kind of, my entire approach to how I work every day has kind of changed because I do, and I I would highly, highly recommend if you wish to enter this industry at kind of a chef-owner level that you really love what you do, and I truly do, so a lot of uh, there's a lot of hours of my work that don't feel like work, and I'm very very fortunate to go through to go through life like that. So um, the hours, the hourly commitment, it stresses my family out a little bit more than it stresses me out to be 100 honest because I love it. Um, but you know, as long as as you're taking care of your mental health, I think anything's really achievable. Mm-hmm. I think it's important, though, for, you know, Chase to be there and see every plate go out and make sure it's up to his standards. But he also, and I'm very proud of him, has taken, we've gotten some help in the kitchen recently, and he's been able to go get a haircut, which has been, you know, that's Looked great, by the way. Big <laughs> steps, you know? Yeah. So, I did, I did. So, you know, we're proud of him, but it's, it's chefs are perfectionists, and they should be. You should be proud of your food. And I don't want to work for somebody that isn't proud of their food. So it's a, you know. Finding that balance is. It's hard. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's truly found it. Maybe some people. No, it's, you know, I always say Saddle Creek is my second home. So Mm -hmm. it is, I feel I'm there a lot, but I'm also at home a lot. I have a very busy 11 year old. So I feel like I'm everywhere a lot, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Something I think that was really cool that came out of uh february 2020 was you guys started a gofundme page for saddle creek breakfast club because being closed for a month you still wanted to pay employees you still you know had upkeep in the restaurant and everything so you know you wanted to bring some funds in you're able to raise twenty four thousand dollars just from people in the public donating their money um i know flagship restaurant group contributed uh pretty heavily as well what was that like for you guys in a period where I'm sure there was a lot of darkness, there was a lot of just uncertainty, not knowing what's happening, but to see that account just continue to grow and grow, what did that do for your spirits? I mean, I I didn't have much contact with Chase, so it was me. I was mostly doing the communicating with his family um, as well as everybody else, and so when I got that call, you know, specifically for flagship from um, from Anthony, who was my boss as well as Chase's (coughs) boss, uh, we had worked at separate flagship companies. It was, I mean, it's an amazing thing, and then just to see the public immediately jump on board and be behind us and want to see us stay open, and to this day, people still check in and say, how are things going? You know, so glad we're still here. I'm so glad that we made it through not only that, but we've survived COVID, which is still very much a thing. <laughs> yeah. But like we're, you know, you guys have are through the trenches. So it's been really amazing to see our community stand behind us as well as former employers. And just it's, you know, thanks, Omaha. I, we're really grateful. Yeah, I, I think it also just shows kind of the, the, the span of kind of the disease of addiction. But I can't tell you how many people kind of left comments with their donations saying, 
you know, my family has, has struggled with this or I have struggled with this or uh, even worse, you know, I lost a family member to this. But um, it really kind of shows the the wide array that this kind of addiction has touched, has the amount of people that it's touched and are, are willing to um, give to a cause like that. Mm-hmm. When you guys reopened in March that first day, take me back to that day. Like, what do you remember about it? <coughs> I really just remember the week prior, uh, knowing that kind of my reality, my daily routine was going to get back to normal. Um, that was really exciting. And I just remember, you know, being excited to go into the restaurant and get it all scrubbed down and cleaned and ready to smell bacon cooking again. So I just remember being really excited that, things were going to return to normal and and with vengeance, the things we were going to be way better than we were before. So I think what a lot of people don't remember is that we were actually only open for a week and then we shut down for COVID. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we did, we did a weekend and then a week and then another weekend. And then we actually closed for COVID. So another, and I totally forget about this. It's it's been, you know, two years now. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I remember thinking as we're going through COVID, just having in my mind, I'm like, we can do this. Like, we can beat anything. Just there was this kind of air and confidence about the restaurant itself that we've been through hard times and we've survived and we're going to survive this. And at the same time thinking, you know, thank goodness I'm sober because obviously we didn't know it at the time, but we were entering an extremely challenging year. And without a doubt, had I not entered that stage healthy, I don't know if we would have made it. So um, I just remember the first two weeks was like, this is great. Um, We were busy day one back. Um, We've always been blessed by um, a lot of word of mouth and news spreading about always what's going on with us. We were very blessed to be busy the very first day that we were back. Um, And, you know, you kind of ride that high for a week. and And then we got shut down. And we went to a, a carry-out-only model. And, you know, COVID was an and awful... Delivery. Yeah. And we, delivery. We'll keep that, we'll keep that in a wrap. <laughs> we, were, we were not insured to deliver. We were just doing it. it was, we walked <laughs> but, a lot of them. Um, um, COVID was a, an awful, awful thing. And we're still kind of dealing with the after effects of what it did. But, I mean, it wasn't not fun either like it's kind of just like we closed up the building and we were playing board games like waiting for the phone to ring to do carry out orders and really kind of just re-getting to know one another again and you know the restaurant business is so busy that if you don't take time to pay attention to the people around you you kind of can go through without really really knowing or engaging with their lives and um, we had that time together and it was great and um, obviously COVID was a terrible thing, but I mean, um, there's a silver lining in everything, I guess. I'm sure that there were very difficult discussions. I'm sure that there were days where, you know, there's just so much uncertainty, so much negativity where it's just like, man, this is, this just sucks. But it seems like you guys had a very, just at the restaurant overall had a very positive attitude towards it that we are going to beat this. We, we, we took a punch. We're going to take more punches, but we're going to keep getting back up. How did you two, as leaders of the restaurant, kind of establish that mindset and establish that mentality to get everybody on board and let them know the ship isn't sinking? We're going to make it through this. Um, well, some people left, to be mm. honest. You have to lose a few um, to gain really, really great staff, and we have that now. Um, and so it's easy when you have people that are ready for ready for that talk, ready for the morale, ready for the, we've got this, we can do it. When they have that mentality, it's a lot easier to, you know, have people come on board with that. But it's, uh, it's just knowing that we have done it and, you know, we can, we can do it again and power through it. Yeah. I think being honest is big, being honest with your people about exactly what's going on. And then I think, you know, not showing yourself that you're concerned I think is is good. I think if if your leadership shows confidence that no matter what we're going to get through to the other side, then I think that your your team will buy in as well. So, I mean, 
We did. We showed up and we had fun every day. And we talked about what we were going to do tomorrow. And we talked about what next week was going to be like. And we talked about the precautions that we were going to take. And um, and that's it. It's it's day by day. And, and those days turn into weeks. And you just keep going. Mm-hmm. How do you guys think, or maybe... What is the biggest way in which Saddle Creek Breakfast Club is different today than it was in January of 2020 with all that you've gone through and all that you've experienced? Um, I mean, I feel like that we are at a place right now where kind of the term staple has come into play. A lot of people have said you're kind of a staple. So that offers... um, a pretty good amount of security and we've just kind of kind of like I spoke before we just kind of decided that we're going to do what we do and you can come and enjoy it or you cannot and to be honest I'm good either way (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would love for everyone to come and try new things and push their comfort zone but I am not going to change what what I am doing based on what you know, maybe only a handful of people actually want. Um, I don't think artistically that's a way to live. Um, and so, you know, we're not going to do it. There's, there's just kind of this, especially in the last kind of year, I think a lot more restaurants have started to take that approach. They're saying, okay, you know, I don't want to be open on Easter. I want to spend Easter with my family. Like, sorry, but we're going to be closed for Easter. And that's kind of an approach that I've taken since day one is, um, the days that I, that I don't want to work and don't want to have my team work, we're not going to work. And, you know, you can be there okay with that. And we love to see you. And there's have been people that aren't okay with it. And that's okay, too. Like, every restaurant is not for everybody. Um, a restaurant is very much an uh, uh, artistic expression. It's an extension of yourself. And not everyone's going to love it. And I think once you're okay with not everyone loving it, then I think, you know, your path forward is becomes a lot more clear thank you yeah i i mean when you're here you're here we're gonna do it and we're gonna get it done and you're gonna love it and then that's gonna be at the end of that really there is no we're not playing around here you know um but we just we have really great customers and everybody that like like i said in the beginning i i don't think anybody leaves not happy and if they are then i'm sorry We've done everything you can for me. Yeah, we know we did the best we could, and that's okay. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. You guys have been open. You've been honest. We've gotten to talk about breakfast, which is always a good thing. That's always a win. Um, We are running a little bit against the clock here, but i got a couple more questions for Mm -hmm. you that I like to ask just about everybody who comes on this show. And this first one we might have touched on already, so if it's the same answer as something you've already said, feel free to – Just pass on it, or if you have something else, go for it. But I love to ask this in that what is one thing about the restaurant industry that you think most diners don't understand that you wish they did understand? That's a great question. Ask that again. What's (laughs) it's kind of a, a big jumble of words to kind of unpack at once. So, what's one thing about the restaurant industry? that you think people outside of it don't understand that you wish they did and you could tell them and teach them? Breakfast is in high demand. It, it is like real estate right now. It is hot. Yeah? And everybody wants it. So just hold your horses and have that waiting room coffee because we'll get you when we get you. I just, I mean, I like, I just don't think people realize how quickly and how quick they want breakfast. I want in and out I have to go to work right now things have to be done immediately. And I'm like, whoa, it's 6.30. We just woke up, you know? So I think that's something to take away from it. Okay, perfect. So I would say the the work that you see being done in a restaurant during operating hours is just the tip of the iceberg of the work that actually goes in, into a restaurant. So I, I kind of remember when I was in high school working in restaurants, people would actually think that the time that I would have to arrive to the restaurant to work would be the time that we opened. That is, that is not the case. Uh, so we're open from 7 to 2. We are not um, just working 7 to 2. No. There is, that is about, the actual service is about 15% of the actual work that goes into it. 
there's another 85% that goes on when you're not there um, that allows that, you know, short seven-hour period to function. Um, so, like I said before, kind of before, like, it's it's a hard, it's rigorous, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of hours, and it takes a lot of commitment. Um, so just understand, you know, understanding that um, there's a lot more that happens to go into that short, you know, four, five, six, seven-hour service that a you actually see. A lot of behind see. the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to get you guys out of here on a positive note, what is, in your opinion, the best thing about being a part of the restaurant industry? <laughs> I, I love watching people eat. <laughs> really? I do. I love watching people eat, and I tried to read their lips, what they're saying to their dining companion about what they're eating. Um, and to that, kind of along that same lines, I, I truly believe that we're at a place uh, right now that – um, dining out is kind of the last frontier of person-to-person social interaction. And if I can be a part of bringing people together and, you know, being served by another person, you know, enjoying the product that's being made in person, um, I think is, is very, very satisfying because um, I think one day we're going to look back and we're going to see that we've we've kind of, really gone to a, a faceless way of, of functioning. And I, and I truly, truly hope that restaurants remain uh, social places. I love that. And now I, I have to ask a quick follow-up before I get your answer, Jocelyn. What's the most memorable reaction that you remember from someone eating a plate of food? So this is actually kind of strange, but it, it popped in my head earlier today. But the very first week we were, we were open, it might have even been the first day. I don't know. Um, but like I said, we were we were executing at about maybe fifty to sixty percent quality of what we're kind of hitting right now. But we were packed. And side note: so our first week open, we didn't actually make it to our closing time. Not once. We <laughs> sold out every single day. But um, if you've ever been to the restaurant, there's a large waiting room at the very front, and it was full of people. And we had a solo diner who came in, and he had biscuits and gravy. And as he's walking out in front of this crowd of people, he kind of throws his hands in the air and he's like, well, it's amazing. And, and to be honest, I don't think I've ever saw that guy again, but I'm glad we made him happy one time. <laughs> oh, that is a great story. All right, Jocelyn, what's your favorite part? Um, favorite part of being is the family that you get from being in the industry. You know, my some of my closest friends are from my industry jobs and just the people that you get to meet, you know, those connections that you get to make. You you never know when you might need that person or see that person or, you know, there's that local TJ who works at the gas station. He's helped me break into my car when I've locked my keys in it before, you know, just, just knowing that person in that time and, you know, it's just amazing. It's great. And that's another thing that's great about Omaha, though, is just that small small community, somebody that you know when you're outside of, you know, your comfort zone is really awesome. And then to add on to his story, my favorite is when we have a regular and her daughter will just scream, potatoes, at us. And we're like, okay, <laughs> to ring in the hash browns. <laughs> right How often does she come in? Uh, not as often as they used to, but they were weekly customers before. Uh, I mean, yeah. obviously very memorable yeah. When they do come in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom know. works at Sweet Magnolias now, so she's busy baking in the morning. So we don't get to see them as often as we But it's to. still special when you get Potato potato Girl. Potato Girl, yes. yep. <laughs> yeah. That's her. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today, not only to come on the podcast, but just to be so honest about, you know, topics that are pretty sensitive and they're not easy to talk about. And you guys you guys brought the real talk and that's something it's difficult to do, but I really appreciate you being willing to do it. Uh, so thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And listeners. I mean, if, if you've been to Saddle Creek breakfast club, you know, like if you go and have these hash browns, you will be the one screaming potatoes next time you go in, or you'll walk out and just throw your hands up and say, it's amazing because this place, it is special. Um, I wasn't just saying it at the top of the show when I said it's my favorite breakfast spot. It really is. It's it's a great, great place. So go check it out. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.